But you know what? Sometimes they do things that break our heart in horrible ways too. And sometimes they do it for a long time. And sometimes that's how things just are. The only source of consistent joy is the Lord. And if you're looking to your kids or your spouse or society for your happiness, then you're going to be disappointed. It has to come from the Lord. Praise to the God who reigns above. But you know what? That's what happens when you leave God's standard. There's only one solution to dysfunction in a family, and it's repentance. It's that simple. There's only one solution. It's repentance, whatever it is. You're not loving your wife. Repent. Love your wife. You know, If you're not respecting your husband, repent. Respect your husband. If you're not treating your kids the way you're supposed to treat them, to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, then repent and start doing it. Praise to the God who knows my name. Commit your works, not your thoughts, but your works unto the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. What does that mean? Here's what it means. Right thinking comes from right living. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Genesis. So far in Genesis, we have seen God deal with and bless one specific family line out of all the peoples of the world, a lineage that would one day bless every person on the earth. Last we saw this lineage brought us to Jacob, a man who thought he could help God by tricking his own father Isaac into a blessing. Last time in Genesis 29, we saw that Jacob's two wives, Rachel and Leah, were at odds and made it a competition to bear Jacob's children. Each woman was never satisfied. This is what happens when we seek joy outside of God. We will never be satisfied outside of the Lord. We will see this account play out as we join Pastor Will in Genesis chapter 30, verse 3. You know, it stems from an attitude that says, I can still have the good things in life without changing my life. And I've seen this attitude destroy many people because later on they become angry at God when things go bad. Why did you do this, God? And then hold on a second. God didn't do anything. You chose this. (laughs) You decided to go down a road that God says is not a good idea. And the mindset is at the heart of every lie Satan speaks. Think about it. Comes to Eve, and what does he say? You can eat the fruit and still have everything good in life, right? Even have it better. What did he come to Jesus and say? I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. That's what Jesus was come for, right? To rule and reign, right? To be the Messiah. You can have it all if you worship me. You can have it both ways, Jesus. Both ways. You don't have to die, but you can still get all the kingdoms of the world. Live how you want and still experience all the things God promises to you without obeying him. But it never works that way. That whole time with Jesus in the desert and the enemy coming and tempting him is fascinating to me because we think of his answers specific to his situation, but they go so much deeper for us. Jesus' response to, to Satan's lies have so much meaning. Think about it. Man does not live by bread alone. Satan, you're trying to tell me, hey, since you're the son of God, just turn these stones into bread. There'd be nothing wrong if Jesus did that. The problem was doing that isn't the solution. What Jesus is saying, I need something else than what you're providing for me, Satan. I need something more, something deeper. And that bread is not all I need. If I turn those stones to bread, it doesn't solve my problem, which is, My father's teaching me to depend upon him. 
His other answer, when he tells him to worship him, he says, you shall love the Lord your God and serve him only. Think of how deep that is. You're offering me, you say, the best of both worlds, but the truth is you're missing the point. It's not just about acquiring all that. It's about having a relationship with my father. How many times did Jesus refer to his relationship with his father in his earthly ministry? So many times. I am in the Father, and the Father's in me. My Father loves me. I always do the things that please the Father. It's a relationship. So much deeper than just the answer right there. See, these things are truth. But she doesn't see it that way. And so she gave him, verse 4, Bilhah, her handmaid, to wife. So Jacob's gone from two wives now to three. And Jacob went in unto her, and Bilhah conceived and bare Jacob a son. Rachel said, God has judged me. Or the word there means to provide justice for a wrong done. God has provided justice for my wrong. And he has also heard my voice and has given me a son. Therefore shall his name be called Dan. What wrong was done to her? I mean, can you imagine this kid's introduction? Hi, I'm Dan. God's going to get you if you mess with my mama. That's what his name means. God's going to get you if you mess with my mama. Everything is right there, open in front. All the family's junk is right there in the public for everybody to see. She doesn't stop there. Verse 7, Bilhah, Rachel's maid, conceived again and bare Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, with great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed. She called his name Naphtali. (laughs) The word that prevailed, it has the, the connotation of outsmarting. She really believes she's outsmarted her sister. In fact, the poor kid's name, it means the one fought for. Why not just name him, my mom's smarter than your mom? Pretty much. That's what she's saying. I outsmarted my sister. I've wrestled with her and I've prevailed. It's so sad. But you know, this is what happens when we leave God's ordained plan for family. What is God's ordained plan for family? I mentioned it at the beginning of the sermon. It's simple. It's simple. It's one woman and one man loving and serving one another for their entire life, period. This is not complicated. You know, people may make all sorts of comments, but you know, you know Paul, you know, what they were talking about when Paul talked about homosexuality is he said, no, I, he was dealing with homosexual prostitution. Really? And why did Jesus, when he was asked a really important question about marriage, say, did you not know from the beginning that God made them male and female? Why even bring that up? I mean, I mean if, it, if really none of that matters, if the whole male-female thing just doesn't matter, why not go straight to the whole issue of divorce, which is what they're asking them about? Why take the time to go, hey, hey, let's go back all the way to the beginning. Let's see how God started us. Let's keep it simple, okay? From the beginning, God made him male and female. And then he said, Whatsoever God joins together, let no man separate. And he explains, and then he gives the rest of the teaching. He goes right back to that garden experience when God brought Eve to Adam and they received one another. They made their vow to one another and they began their, their marriage. In Hebrews 13, 4, God says, you know, the marriage bed is undefiled or I think it's more of a command. The marriage bed is to be undefiled, holy and undefiled. But you know, in that sense, God takes a big circle and draws it around the married couple and he says, this is to be held in high value and never defiled. Nothing inside goes out, and nothing outside comes in. 
That's what God designed it to be. You know, after recent events with the Supreme Court, I won't be surprised when polygamy makes its comeback. People laugh about it. Oh, that's absurd. No one would ever do that. But I still remember my pastor when I was a teenager in the 1990s, late 80s, saying, you know what's coming next? You know, this is when divorce was exploding. You know what's coming next? Next, homosexual marriage. And everybody, oh, that's absurd. The church would never give in on that issue. We are watching wholesale ministers just cave on this. Now, the reason they're caving on it is because we've caved on all the other stuff. We've not taken a strong stance against divorce. We've not taken a strong stance against adultery. We've not taken a strong stance against premarital sex. So, I mean, I, I saw posts on Facebook where people now are saying, you people talking about, the Bible never even addresses the issue of premarital sex. I'm like, have you picked this thing up? When 1 Thessalonians 4 says that you're to acquire your vessel in sanctification and honor, not like the Gentiles do, not going beyond and defrauding your brother or sister, not taking that which does not belong to you. How much clearer can it be? I don't think I'm, I'm some brainiac that, you know, I can look at this and go, well, you know, this makes perfect sense to me, but the peons don't understand it. Not at all. This is in plain sight. We've ignored everything else, so why not polygamy? The same argument applies. If two or more people love each other and they want to be together, who are we to stop them, right? It doesn't hurt anybody, right? How is it hurting you? They're not going into your bedroom. Do you realize how foolish that sounds when you take it to its logical end? I'm nauseous with how many times I've heard people say, who are we to say if two people love each other that it's wrong? Okay, so what, what if, what if, what if I'm my sister? Or what if I want to, my mother? Or what if it, you start going down that logical road? Where, where do we stop? At what point do, do we, since we can't say this isn't love, can we, we can't call it perversion. At what point can you call it perversion? And I find that as Christians, there's a struggle to try to define and understand. And, you know, I don't think it's that difficult. I, maybe I'm old-fashioned, maybe I'm too traditional. I just don't think it's that difficult. How is it hurting you? Well, it hurts you, and it hurts every single person around you. You want to ask Dan or Reuben how it felt for them? Or about how Joseph, if it hurt him, when jealous children who were used as pawns in a polygamous competition took out their bitterness on him? They were this close to killing him. Oh, it doesn't hurt anybody. It's nonsense. It's, it's ignorance. It's foolishness. It hurts everybody. Proverbs 16. Turn over there with me if you don't mind. Proverbs 16, verses 2 and 3. This has been on my heart this weekend. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. Now, that by itself would be great, but the next verse is attached to it. So commit your works unto the Lord, and then your thoughts will be established. See that? Verse 2 is the problem. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. Verse 3 is how you fix it. Commit your works, not your thoughts, but your works unto the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. What does that mean? Here's what it means. Right thinking comes from right living, not the other way around. What do you mean by that, Will? What I mean is this. You don't sit and ponder things out on your own and end up with right living. It doesn't work that way. Because you sit and you ponder and you go, well, you know, I mean, they're really nice people, and I mean, they, they really seem to care about each other, and I love hanging around them, and they don't look like demons, so I mean, I guess it's okay. 
And, and then we go, well, now let me try to understand this in light of my pondering. And let me decide how I'm going to act in light of my pondering. See, it messes us up because we are not good judges of right and wrong. But God says, this is the way, walk you in it. And we go, okay, God. And then we look back and we go, hey, you know what? That worked, God was right. He establishes our thoughts. We can see more clearly how things are supposed to work. The idea of any unbiblical marriage working is absurd to those who have done it the right way. You look over at one another and you go, there's no chance. This, this cannot be all that God designed marriage to be because you've experienced that. You say, I know what marriage is designed to be. I see it in front of me. I see how we fought for it, how we labored for it, the things that had to die in our own hearts to achieve that, the sin that had to be done away with to find that. And you look and you go, there's no way it can exist in that type of a relationship. And what we find out is, wow, God was right. This is the best way. Numerous times when I see people, they look at me, oh, yeah, whatever, you know, I, I don't want that kind of life. And I go, well, that's fine because me and Bev are happy. You're not. So I'm not trying to get all proud on you, but you might want to consider which folks are making the right decisions. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. When you see someone, you say, there's a life that's a marriage. I want, I want what they have. You can't have it doing it your way. You have to look and you have to ask the question and go, why is it like that for you? What's your relationship like? What have you learned from the Lord over the years? What have you learned from the scriptures? And as it comes forth and you go, that's how you do it. I can't tell you how many times we've sat with couples and we've shared our heart and said, hey, this is how we worked through this. This is how we grew through this. And we applied this principle to our life and it really helped a lot. And your light bulb goes off and like, wow, we've never tried that before. Try it, it'll work. And as two people work together toward that, they begin to experience God's blessings. His way is the best. It's the right way. That's why he gave us the book. He loves us. Back in Genesis, verse 9 now, when Leah saw that she had left bearing or her womb was inactive, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her Jacob to wife. And that is a bummer because she had gotten to that place where she was really focused on the Lord and the Lord was enough for her, but that was while things were doing good. And so now she sees her sister as one-upped her. And, 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 and as a result, perhaps now Rachel is elevated in social status. Now, oh, I guess we thought wrong about Rachel. She's good now. And I think if you go down to verse 13, when Leah has the child through this, you know, handmaid, she says in verse 13, happy am I for the daughters will call me blessed. Apparently she had lost status um, in the community. And so sadly, Leah leaves her place of contentment with God and she's drawn into the competition by adopting the mindset that two can play at this game. So now Jacob gets a fourth wife. And so Leah, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her Jacob to wife, and Zilpah, Leah's maid, bare Jacob a son. <clears throat> and Leah said, a troop comes. Or literally, it means good fortune. Almost, and his name Gad means the same thing, good fortune. It's almost that she goes, it worked. <laughs> I, was, I didn't know if it would work. It worked. And it went on, and Leah said, a troop comes, and she called his name Gad. And Zilpah, Leah's maid, bare Jacob a second son. And Leah said, happy am I. For the daughters will call me blessed. And so she called his name Asher, which means bringer of happiness. Now, 
Children bring immense joy. I have four of them, and they are amazing. They make me laugh. They make me cry. They, sometimes I'm just so tickled by the things that they do. You know, Ethan came in tonight, and he had his little Peru beanie on, and, you know, he wanted some pizza, and he's just chatting away, and I'm just thinking, that's my little boy, you know, and just, I just, big old smile on my face, you know. They do bring joy. But you know what? Sometimes they do things that break our heart in horrible ways, too. And sometimes they do it for a long time, and sometimes... That's how things just are. The only source of consistent joy is the Lord. And if you're looking to your kids or your spouse or society for your happiness, then you're going to be disappointed. It has to come from the Lord. And Leah's disappointed again because Jacob loves Rachel. And nothing has changed for her, even though she's had four kids of her own and two stepkids that technically belong to her. In verse 14, Reuben is dragged into the competition And Reuben went in the days of the wheat harvest, and he found mandrakes in the field, and he brought them unto his mother Leah. Now, the mandrake is the Palestinian love apple. It's the name it's normally known by. They were considered both an aphrodisiac, so it gets you in the mood, and then also a fertility drug, so that it would make you fertile. And they're still sold in the Middle East as such. But when you think about the circumstances of which she gets these love apples... Reuben is considered to be as young as six, but no older than 10 at this time. And listen, no 10-year-old should be out in the field and go, oh, let me bring some of these home to mom. That will make her happy. They should never know enough about their parents' intimate life to even think that. But his very name, if you remember, was a reminder that daddy didn't love mommy. And he knew all about his half-brothers in the baby competition because his name was the opening salvo of the competition. And as we look at Reuben, is it a wonder that he will have a very warped sense of love and sex because of his exposure to these things? He's going to eventually sleep with his stepmother. I mean, he has a very warped sense of love and sex. And let me encourage you, ladies and men, this evening, please remember that when you're playing around with flirting or if you're in an affair, because your sin does hurt others, it hurts your kids. It changes things. It warps things. It it does things to their mind. Well, Rachel, she said, hey, give me some of your your son's mandrakes. Can I have some of those? Give me some of them apples. (laughs) Can I have some some of your love apples, you know? I don't even know why she would ask that, but I guess she thought, well, maybe things are okay now. I don't know. And that makes Leah very upset. She said unto her, Is it a small matter that you have taken my husband? And would you also take away my son's mandrakes also? So Rachel said, Well, therefore he can lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. So Rachel makes a deal for some love apples. You know, Leah says, You took my husband, but I don't know if she ever had him. But you know, it's interesting how bitterness and anger rewrites history in our minds, doesn't it? She thinks he took my husband away. But she's even more upset because the request really upset Reuben. He'd wanted to make his mom, he just wanted to make his mom smile. And now the wicked stepmother is trying to ruin it all. And so Rachel says, well, you know what? I don't want to upset Reuben. So your son could still be happy and here's how you get sleeping rights tonight. Tell Reuben that. And the implication is that Jacob wasn't with Leah much at this point. That maybe he wasn't even fulfilling conjugal duties. And Rachel perhaps figures, well, she's not having kids anymore anyway. What does one night matter if I get the fertility drugs? Well, that doesn't work out so well either. (laughs) 
For it says, Jacob came out of the field in the evening, and Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in with me, for surely I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. In polygamous families, each wife got her own tent or house to live in. And since Jacob seldom went to her house, rather than inform him at Rachel, she goes out and meets him in the field. And we see there, she says, you got to stay with, you got to sleep with me tonight because I've paid for it. And to be just blunt, I don't even know what to say about that. I don't even know what to say about that. It's a mess. It's a mess. But you know what? That's what happens when you leave God's standard. There's only one solution to dysfunction in a family, and it's repentance. It's that simple. There's only one solution. It's repentance, whatever it is. You're not loving your wife. Repent. Love your wife. You know? If you're not respecting your husband, repent. Respect your husband. If you're not treating your kids the way you're supposed to treat them, to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, then repent and start doing it. There's all, that's it. You know, Lord, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I'm, I'm going to commit from this point forward to do this. Will you help me to do this? And the Lord says, I forgive you. Now move in my power. That's the only solution. God's standard, recognize what God's standard is and then to align myself with it. I think there's enough in what we covered tonight to, for all of us to reflect on. And so my only exhortation here at the end is if the Lord has put his finger on anything tonight in your life, in your marriage, in your family, please don't harden your heart. You know, repent is a beautiful word. I think most of time we think repent, you know, we think of the hellfire brimstone, but it's a beautiful word. That we can repent is a beautiful thing. That I can turn around, that I can stop doing what I was doing. I'm not enslaved to the way I'm headed. That I can say, Lord, I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? And he says, if you confess your sins, I'm faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins, to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. I'm gonna work in your life. And so my exhortation is, repent. You know, he'll forgive and he'll change you. Amen? Let's all stand. To join me in prayer as the worship team comes forward. Lord, I think of so many times in my life where you've called me to repent. And sometimes I, I, know I just get frustrated and tired of myself and think, Lord, when am I going to get it? But Lord, you're not frustrated by our sin. You're not frustrated by our struggles. Lord, you're right there with us in the midst. And you're drawing us to yourselves. And so tonight I pray for those here as we're all gathered, Lord, we've all got junk. Or maybe there may have been something specific that you put your finger on tonight. But right now we repent. <laughs> we say, Lord, I'm sorry. I choose to change my mind. This isn't okay. I've, I've been making excuses or blaming my spouse or blaming the kids or blaming the job or blaming life. And the truth is, I just need to own it. And Lord, I do. Will you please forgive me? Lord, to those who are saying those words to you right now, would you confirm your loving forgiveness that you're not angry with them, Lord, but that you want to change them. And Lord, now even as there are those who have said those words, you say, God, please, I give this to you. Please change me. I, I choose to be different. Would you fill them with your Holy Spirit that, Lord, we might walk in your love. Lord, before you tell us to, to, to respect our husbands or to love our wives like Christ loves the church or to, to love our kids and to train them up or to obey our parents, Lord, you, before you do any of that, you say, hey, be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So, Lord, we need your Spirit. Empower us so we can do this. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There is such wisdom and safety in seeking the Lord. Even if you have started down a path you know you shouldn't be on, 
it is never too late to stop and turn around. Rachel and Leah made a mess of their family and caused such turmoil. But no matter how hard the situation, God can fix it. He can redeem anything and make it absolutely beautiful. But if you have questions or would like prayer concerning this or for anything at all, please reach out to us. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.